Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. I wonder what do you think God is like? What do you think? When you imagine God and when you imagine him looking down from on high and seeing the world as it is, what do you imagine that God is like? Do you imagine that he's a little bit like us, watching children in need, maybe kind of keen to change the channel because it's just getting a little bit painful, you know, watching the the videos, watching the, the stories of different people who live in really difficult circumstances? What do you think God sees when he looks at the world and sees the pain and suffering and struggle that people in this room go through, that people around the world that we see on our our news screens day by day, what they go through? What does God think about that? And what about not just kind of innocent suffering, but what about sin? What about injustice and wrong? The things in the world that, um, that people do which show that we've shut our ears off to God, that we've shut our eyes, that we prefer to live in darkness and not know about him. How does God deal with us? How does he see us in those kind of situations? What about when, when people speak wrong, when people refuse to worship him and come to him and know him for the wonderful king and God that he is? How does God see us then? What does God see when he sees the world? I wonder what you think. Do you think that he's just angry there, waiting to pour out his rage at the, end of, at the end of the age on the world? Do you think of God as an angry God or as an absent God? Somebody like an absent father who's created the world and then disappeared, not really interested in us anymore. Left the world like a ticking clock, kind of carrying on on its merry way, but doesn't really care, isn't involved anymore. Maybe you don't believe in God at all. Maybe he's just completely absent, as in never was there in the beginning. I wonder what you think of God when you imagine him. Well, one way we could learn about the truth, learn about reality, is to read this story. The way that we learn about who God is, is to to learn and understand, to know about Jesus. That's what we read right at the beginning of Mark's gospel. If you're a guest today, if it's your first time with us or first time in a while, we've been working through a biography of Jesus written by a man called Mark. If you want to hear a bit more about him, come along this evening. Chris is going to preach and tell us a bit more about the man Mark. But Mark was a follower of Jesus, and he starts his story like this. The beginning of the gospel, that's the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, the Savior, that's what his name means. The the Christ, that means King promised chosen king, the son of God, the one that if you want to know about God, well, you come and meet him. If you see him, you've seen the father. So you want to know about God. You want to know reality. You want to know what he thinks of the world, what he uh, feels when he sees the tragedy in the world. Well, we need to come and see Jesus. And this story that we read about today gives us a really beautiful picture of what God is like. Let me read it to you again. Perhaps we'll pick up a few more details. Look at what Jesus is like. Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hands on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, 
Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He, was, he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. We want to know what God thinks of a suffering world. We need to come and see what Jesus thinks and does about a suffering world. There's three or four things I want you to see. Three things that Jesus does and one thing that the, that the crowd does. Although Jesus does it too. But they all begin with the letter S. So this is how we're going to try and answer that question. What does God think when he sees the world? Well, first, he, he does some sign language. Second, he sighs, and then he speaks, and then the people speak as well. And we'll see what they have to say uh, for themselves in a moment. But first of all, he does some sign language. I wonder if you were wondering what was going on. I mean, picture the scene. This man comes along, dragged along by his friends. Picture what life would have been like for him. I'm coming along to, to meet Jesus in a place buzzing with people. I don't know if you've, if you've ever been to the St. David Centre in Cardiff on a bank holiday or running up to Christmas when everybody's desperate to buy their Christmas presents. The place is packed. It's quite, it's quite uncomfortable, especially if you don't really like crowds, if you're a bit of an introvert. It's just way over the top. So imagine something like that, people all around Jesus. Everybody's waiting to hear him. He's in the Decapolis. That's not usually where he went. It's not usually where many Jews went. It was a place where there were a, a few, a kind of diaspora, a few Jews scattered around, but usually not many. It was a place full of, of pagan people, Greeks and Romans, all sorts of people. So you might not expect Jesus, you know, the son of God, to be spending much time with. And yet there he is in this huge crowd of people, and some friends have brought their friend along. This friend is deaf. He's probably been deaf for a long time and, and has a serious speech impediment, so he basically can't speak. Imagine what life would be like for him. That he'd never heard bird singing. That he couldn't speak, let alone sing. So he couldn't have joined in with us this morning, um, singing songs together. He couldn't express himself or ask for a cup of tea, ask somebody to pass the salt at the, at the table. He couldn't talk about his feelings or express what, what his deepest desires were. He was in a lonely world all by himself. He couldn't hear God's creation and song and children um, laughing. He couldn't speak and, and show people himself. Imagine what it would be like to be in that situation. And then these friends, out of pity, out of compassion, who knows, they bring him to Jesus, the only hope that they have, and they sit him down and Jesus does this. A bit of a strange thing. I wonder if you thought what on earth was going on. He took him aside, away from the crowds. Why does he do that? Well, something, it's an act of humility, isn't it? He doesn't want to be in front of the crowd. I don't know, maybe doesn't want to turn this man into a freak show. Doesn't want to, um, to come across like a, mag a magic man with all these special things to do and kind of hand movements and waving and looking and saying strange words. He doesn't want to make it a big scene, and so he takes the man aside. The God of heaven, right, who made everything, comes in and speaks to this little man, takes him aside, where nobody else can see except his mates and a few of the disciples, and then does these very strange things. He put his fingers, imagine this, put his fingers into his ears, and then took them out again, and then he spits on the ground, and then he 
touches the man's tongue, and then he looks up to heaven, and then he says, Ephatha, and the man can speak. Why on earth was he doing that? He hasn't done that in any of the other miracles so far. There's a story in John's gospel about him spitting on the ground, making mud, and touching a man's eyes with it. That's a different story. He isn't spitting on his hands and touching it. He, he spits something out of his mouth that's keeping him from talking. He, if he like, puts his fingers in the man's ears and then takes them out, and then he looks up to heaven, what do you think he's doing there? Well, he's doing sign language, isn't he? I don't know if they had a, you know, we have BSL in the UK, kind of British sign language. I don't know if they had an a Israelite sign language or something like that, but it's pretty obvious, even if you don't know any sign language, what he's doing. The man hasn't been able to hear anything that Jesus has said so far. Maybe anything his friends have said so far. Maybe anything his friends have ever said about Jesus so far. Perhaps he doesn't even know who this man is that they've brought him to. Hasn't ever heard anything about Jesus. None of the good news. And so Jesus can't ask him, do you believe? Or what do you want from me? It's obvious what the man needs. The man can't speak. The man can't hear. Maybe he doesn't even know Jesus. And so Jesus shows him. Jesus steps into his world and shows him. The things that are in your ears, whatever the problem, they're going to come out. That thing in your mouth, this is what we do when we try and speak Welsh, isn't it? Can we take a good swallow before you pronounce Sanesli or see if we can get it. Sanvaid Pusquingis. I can't do it. Ask my wife to do it later on or maybe someone can do it for us. The big long name from North Wales. When you're trying to speak Welsh, you've got to get that thing out of your mouth so you can do all the chs and And so Jesus spits, gets that thing out of his mouth that's stopping him from speaking clearly and then touches the man's tongue. And then what does he do? He looks up to heaven. So imagine what you're understanding. Well, something's going to come out of my ears. Maybe I'll get to hear. That'd be pretty good. Something's going to come out of my mouth, and will I be able to speak and share my life with people finally? And who's going to do this? I mean, is this some kind of magician? No. God is going to do this. And then he says, Ephatha, and the man speaks. Perhaps that was the first word that he'd ever heard. The Son of God say to him, be opened. It's probably talking more well, about more than just his ears and his mouth, wasn't it? Probably talking about something deeper, but we'll get to that in a minute. Jesus is incredibly gracious. I mean, isn't that just so what you might expect? Those of you who know him, isn't that what you would expect of Jesus? To be somebody like this, to have compassion, to not draw a big crowd, not try and be a big deal, but to go away quietly to deal with this man with great compassion, to enter into his world, to speak his language, the only language that this man knows in his silent personal world, to show him signs, step into his world, and fix him, open him up, and give him freedom. Isn't that a wonderful picture of what Jesus is like, not just for him, but for us? You see, this story is about more than just this man. Remember, if you were here at the first message where we began to look at Mark, Mark um, was a follower of a man called Peter, a follower of Jesus, but Peter was one of of Jesus' closest disciples and one of the, the kind of biggest, most important preachers and teachers of the early days. And so Mark was writing down a lot of the stories that he'd heard from Peter. He was there for some of these stories as well. Um, But most of what he's writing down is Peter's account, is Peter's firsthand, his preaching. And so why was this story burned into Peter's memory? I mean, there would have been so many stories like this, wouldn't there? There there are loads of people coming, crowding around, getting healed of this, that, and the other. So why this story? And why here? Well, if you were to turn back and look in the last couple of chapters, you'll see that there's different stories that lead up to this. and, And quite a few of them deal with people who 
don't seem to be hearing very well and don't seem to be speaking very clearly. You get the Pharisees, and they hear Jesus. They hear him a lot. They're always after him to try and catch him. They hear his words, but they don't listen. And then when they speak, they speak lies. They speak accusations. They speak blasphemy. And then you get this Syrophoenician woman, this foreigner from far, far away. We heard about her last week, and when she hears about Jesus, she runs to meet him to have her daughter healed. And when she hears Jesus push on her a little bit, kind of push to test her faith with those strange words we heard last week, she has amazing words in return. Do you see maybe what's going on in this story? The Pharisees hear, but they don't hear. And then they speak, but they don't really speak. And the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, she hears and she really hears clearly. She knows who Jesus is and she trusts him. And then when she speaks, she speaks faith and trust. And Jesus rescues her and her daughter. And then we have this story here. And then if you were to flick forward to the next chapter, you'll see almost exactly the same uh, kind of sequence of stories. I don't want to spoil it for next week, but you, you hear people not hearing and not speaking very well. And then you hear somebody very significant, Peter himself, hearing, understanding, and then saying something, which is the center, the whole conclusion of the whole book. So what's going on in this story? Well, it's a story not just about this man, but it's a story about us. It's a story about all people, that we are people who hear, but don't really hear. We're people who speak, but we don't really speak truth. We're people who feel like we're open, who who maybe even say that we're open-minded and all that kind of thing, but really we're closed, closed away from God. And what does Jesus do? Well, he steps into our world and he opens us up. We're closed, you see, to hearing about God. We look at the world around us. We see all the beauty that there is. We, we live our lives according to moral codes. We look at, at programs like uh, David Attenborough's um, Nature Things, and we see the beauty of the world. We go to doctors, and I was in the physio this week, um, having my shoulder kind of worked on a little bit, and, and, and I asked the physio to tell me a bit about the shoulder, and it's, it's an amazing joint. Our bodies are amazing things, and so we live in this world full of evidence of God, and yet we just don't really hear it. Perhaps we come Sunday by Sunday, or we remember times when we heard stories about Jesus as a child, but we didn't really hear them. And we try and speak as well. We say lots of words day by day, but often what we speak isn't true. Often we find it difficult to tame our tongues and teach them to say good things. It takes us years and years as children just to learn to be polite let alone good. And so we're people who don't hear from God, even though we maybe hear naturally, and we don't speak truth about God. We don't worship him. We don't sing to him. We don't confess about him naturally. And we need Jesus to step into our world to open us up to him. So how does he do that? Let's carry on with the story and see what he does. After he took him aside, Jesus did this sign language, looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha. At this, the, ear, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. So Jesus does some sign language. And this story is a sign to us, as I've been saying, that our, our ears are so often um, shut, our lips are so often closed, to hearing from him, to worshipping him, and speaking about him. So how does Jesus solve it? He steps into this man's shoes, steps into his world, and opens him up again. He looks up to heaven, something that comes from there, and then he sighs. There's a bit of an answer to the question 
about what God feels about the world. So he looks at us and comes and steps into the world. And how does he feel about it? Well, he sighs deeply. This isn't just because healing people is hard work. What's going on here is something like what, what happens in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. It's the same word in Greek. As in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That the world is struggling with suffering and groaning, waiting for it to all be fixed. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as his sons, as his children, the redemption of our bodies. Do you see that groaning that we have about the world, this sighing, this struggle that we have with a world that isn't as it's meant to be? That's what Jesus is feeling right then. Jesus is looking at this man, and it isn't just another day of healing for him. Jesus looks at him and loves him and sighs deeply at at the state of the world, at how sin, at, at how us turning away from God, turning away from the one who's the source of all life, has left us in the dark and left us like wilting plants that you leave in a drawer. They need sunshine. They need life. They need greenness and water and they need to flourish. But, but if you put a plant in a drawer, it shrivels, it wilts, it goes yellow and, and dies. And so that's us. We've cut ourselves off from God. We've turned away from him. We prefer to live in darkness with our fingers in our ears and our hands on our tongues. Jesus steps into our world and weeps over it, steps into our world and is, is angry at the effects of sin, at death, at sickness, at suffering, at this man who's spent his whole life in silence. How does God feel about the world? Well, he, he hasn't disappeared. He's stepped into it. How does God feel about the world? Well, he isn't indifferent. He isn't far away. He's close to us and he feels our pain deeply. And then he does something about it. He speaks. He says this word, ephatha, which is a word in Aramaic. It's an, another little example of God, the highest God, uh, the, highest, the God of highest heaven who stepped down and learned Aramaic. Anybody speak Aramaic? Anybody speak Welsh? The, the kind of Welsh they speak up in, up in Brinaman? Anyone from Brinaman? Jesus lived in the, in the Brinaman of Israel, a tiny little village that nobody apart from people who live there and people a bit down the valley, had ever really heard of. Apologies if you're from Brinaman. But think of that, the highest God of highest heaven stepping down to feel our pain and to live and speak like this. Jesus speaks and the man is healed. How has Jesus healed us? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Well, on this day, Jesus took this man aside to a quiet spot and helped him and saved him. But there was another day really the final day of Jesus's identification with us. Another day when Jesus went to a quiet place. This time, he wasn't leading people. That day, you'll read about it as we get further on in Mark, that day he was led by someone else, tied to a big piece of wood. They led him out to a quiet place, and instead of there being a big crowd there, rejoicing, worshiping, praising him, saying, oh, he's done everything well, there was a big crowd there mocking him, saying, come on then, You can stop this if you're really God. You could stop this suffering. You could stop this happening. They took him out to a quiet place where a crowd was there berating him and they nailed him to a cross. They nailed him to a a big lump of wood, hoisted him up in the air, and he spent hours there. He spent hours there dying where his mouth was dry and could barely spit anymore. 
where he sighed and gasped and sighed and gasped for breath. And then eventually, hours later, after suffering in agony and in darkness, he sighed no more. One last cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he died. That's how he's saved the world. That's the word that he's spoken into the world, that we who are in darkness, who should die in that drawer like the plant and wilt away forever, can be brought out into the light. Because he, the one who is light, who is God, who is the source, the one who breathed you out and made you, the one who keeps and sustains you this very moment, he died. He stepped into darkness and willingly went and died out there, being mocked and scorned, being spat on by people. He died for us in our place. He wilted away. He was forsaken by God so that we could be brought close, so that we could be opened up, so that we could have our ears opened and hear the good news and believe it, so that we could have our tongues opened and loosed, so that we could sing to him. Jesus, this is what he's like. This is what our our God is like. He stepped into the world. It's a Christmas story, isn't it? You could maybe even save this up and use it in a couple of weeks' time when we think about Advent and Jesus coming. But this is what our God is like. He stepped into life as a baby. But not only that, grew up as a carpenter doing a blue-collar job in a backwater town. Not only that, but as he was teaching and telling people what his kingdom would be like, people hated him. They didn't understand him. They, they, they tried to kill him multiple times. And eventually they succeeded. This is the kind of God that we have, who didn't hold on to his rights, who didn't hold on to his own language and comfort in heaven and leave us to it, but who came close to us, who stepped into our world and even died for us. So how do we apply that? How do we think about what we should do? Well, let's look at the people's reaction. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. That's a strange thing maybe, but it's because the story's not finished yet. They've only got half the good news that Jesus has come to put the world right, but they don't know how yet. They haven't seen the cross yet. So he says, be quiet. It's not right just yet to tell people about it. But the more that he told them to stop talking, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What do we do? It starts with our understanding of who on earth this is. It starts where these people started. They said, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Do you know that word for mute? It's only used twice in the whole Greek Bible. Once in the passage we just read, and once in the passage Matthew read at the beginning of the service, Isaiah 35. Let me read a couple of those verses to you really slowly and carefully. See if you can hear what's going on. Strengthen your feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. What will it be like when this God comes among us? Well, then... Will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped? Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So where does it start? It starts with you recognizing who this is. Recognizing this isn't just some teacher. It isn't just some magician. It's not just some stories that people made up and embellished as the years went on. This is trustworthy history about a man who claimed to be God, who made 
people who couldn't walk, walk, who made people who couldn't see, see, who opened people's eyes and ears and mouths so they could sing for joy and say, he's done everything well. So our first response, the first application is, is this. Have you come to him? Has he opened you? Can you say, wow, he's done everything well? I mean, I have made a wreck of my life, but he's done everything well. He's even fixed me. He's even come and forgiven me. He's even come and made me new. Helped me to hear when I had my own fingers in my ears. Helped me to speak truth. Have you come to him and said, wow, Lord Jesus, you do everything well. Would you open me? Well, that's the first thing. We need to speak our own worship to him. To speak our own confession to him. To come to him and say, Lord, you are the only true God. You are the one who was promised. You are the Messiah the king who's going to put everything right. Would you come in and fix me? Maybe the second thing we need to do, if we haven't done that already, that's the first thing. Um, go and do that today. Speak to Jesus. But the second thing is this. Speak to other people. I mean, if this Jesus is really our king, if we are his people, if we belong to him, then we need to be like him, don't we? We need to, we need to speak of him to other people. We're going to sing about that in a moment. And the last verse talks about um, God strengthening us so that we would speak about him to all nations. But let me ask you, whose language have you learned recently? Jesus learned Aramaic. Jesus learned our language. Jesus learned or made up a little bit of sign language to step into this man's world. Have you learned any languages recently? I mean, literally. We're not particularly good at doing this as Brits, are we? I went to Europe a few weeks ago, and everybody pretty much spoke English. Pretty good English as well. I couldn't speak any Spanish. Hola, maybe that, but not much more. Bonjour. I, I can say a couple of words in these different languages, but we're not very good at doing that, are we? But let's be good at that as, as people in church. Maybe if you're good with languages, go and learn somebody's language. Go and spend a bit of time sharing the good news with people of that language. But you don't have to go abroad to do that. You could do that here. You could learn the language of the person next door to you. It's from a bit of a different culture, a bit of a strange family background compared to you. You could learn their language and go and serve them. Bake them some cakes and, and take them over. Say hello and ask them about their story. Stepping into their world so that you might have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. What about the Kurdish barber on the corner in Amersford? Anybody going to learn some Kurdish and go and, and chat to him and share the good news with him? What about the people across the street from a different country who've moved to the UK? What about those Syrian refugees who've settled in Ammonford? What about people who are deaf and need you to learn sign language so you can open up their worlds? What about people who have severe learning disabilities? Will you learn what that's like? Will you learn about them and about how to communicate the good news of Jesus, that he loves them, that he has compassion on them? Will you spend time getting to know other people, learning their languages, literally and, and figuratively, so that you might go and do what Jesus does. Step into somebody else's world and share the good news with them. So what are we going to do? Well, the first thing we need to do is to worship, to see the Lord and say, wow, he's done everything well. And the second thing, to go out and share the good news with others, with our children, um, with our old folks, with our neighbors, with our world. Why don't we pray together now? that the Lord would give us great strength and help um, to be as he is and to worship him as we should. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for being a good and gracious God. We thank you that you, 
you're not a God who's distant, but you're a God who's close. You're not a God who's proud and, and arrogant and, and high up, who's not interested in the little people, but you're a humble God, a God who loves to stoop down and pick up the weakest and the, the most worthless of people. Father, we confess that that's what we are, that we have stopped our ears, that we, in ourselves, we don't really want to hear from you. We want to live our lives our own way. Lord, we confess that we don't want to speak about you, that we're, we lack courage, that we prefer to talk about other things than to talk about you. Father, we pray this morning that you would unstop our ears, that as we hear this message, it would be a, a real delight to us. It would, it would thrill our hearts. We pray that you would loosen our tongues, that we'd be able to worship you in truth, not just mouthing words, not just singing songs that maybe we've learned long ago, but we pray that this would come from our hearts as we sing to you again in a moment. Father, we pray as we go out and speak the good news to those around us, we pray that you would give us courage to do that, that you would loosen our tongues again, that we just delight in speaking in the one that we delight in. Lord, you're such a good God. You're not far away, but you're close. You're not high up and, and too far for us to love you and know you, but you've stepped down to make yourself known that we might love you and know you. So Father, we pray for those here this morning who don't know you, would you open their eyes Would you help them to hear? Would you help them to speak of you and to you? Father, for those of us who do know you, we pray that you would help us to delight in you and speak of you more freely. Amen. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.